Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. This is the word of the Lord. Careful now, Joseph. Be gentle. His journey is just beginning. Careful now, Joseph. Be gentle. His journey is just about done. Watch out, there's splinters in the manger. You don't want to hurt him. What a strange place for the Son of God. Watch out, there's splinters in the cross. You don't want to hurt him. What a strange place for the Son of God. Here, Joseph, I'll hold his head. You, you take those claws right there. Yeah, wrap, wrap him tightly. It's okay, nice and tight. That'll keep him feeling safe in his new world. Here, Joseph, I'll hold his head. Take, take these claws. Wrap him tight now. That's it, all the way up. That'll keep his body from decaying until we can embalm him after the Sabbath. The tender, caring hands of one Joseph carefully wrapped Jesus in the moments after his birth. And the tender, caring hands of yet another Joseph carefully wrapped Jesus in cloths in the moments after his death. This evening, as we meditate on the death of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, It really does no good for us to meditate on death alone, really for anyone, unless we also meditate on their life as well. And so, the life of Jesus that I want to meditate on this evening as we think about his death and his meaning for us is just that snapshot of the beginning of his life at his birth, when a dad-like figure named Joseph wrapped him in cloths, and then compare it to the disciple-like figure, Joseph of Arimathea, wrapping him in cloths at his death. There's multiple comparisons and contrasts that we can make with Jesus' birth and with his death. Let me make a few. The, The first that I can think of is this, that at both the birth and the death of Jesus, they ha- well, they happened at just the right time, didn't they? The Bible says in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. And as Jesus' death drew near, as he journeyed to Jerusalem, Jesus said these words, for the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Jesus was born from a virgin womb so he wouldn't be corrupted by the curse of original sin. And Jesus was buried in a virgin tomb so he wouldn't be corrupted by the curse of death, anyone else's death, any more. There were powerful rulers. Powerful rulers God used as pawns to, to make ancient prophecies in very detail come true, both at his birth and at his death. Luke 2 says, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And Mark chapter 15 says, Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And then there were the cloths that wrapped him. It, in both cases, they were meant to be temporary. He would grow out of his swaddling clothes, his birth cloths, and his death cloths that wrapped him so tightly like a zombie were meant to be temporary too. He would rise out of them to live again. Maybe you can think of more contrasts or comparisons. Being wrapped once at his birth might have been just enough for Jesus to experience being wrapped so tightly and constrained in this foreign world. And, and being decreed by a ruler of this earth, the king of kings, being directed by someone under his thumb, it might, once might have been enough. For Caesar to declare the place of Jesus' birth might have been enough. And flirting with death upon Herod's decree that the babies in Bethlehem should be killed. So his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, took the baby Jesus to Egypt. That might have been enough, That just that once. But not for Jesus. No, he allowed a ruler of this earth to make a decree again when Pontius Pilate issued the words and the command, crucify him. And he, he danced with death, yet not once, but again, this time at the cross, and this time it killed him. And he was willing to be wrapped, not once, but again, by Joseph, for us. Where does the love of Jesus end? When does the love of Jesus stop? If his father had asked him to suffer one more day, if, if the Father had said, I tell you what, let's, let's put you on a, a second cross one more time. If the Father had said, not just this cup of suffering, but an even bigger one. If the Father had decreed for Jesus to endure three times the whiplashes, what would He have said? That's enough? No. 
he would have said, again, once is not enough for the love of Jesus. He would have said, again, for us. This is the Jesus who forgave not one prostitute, but another. The Jesus who prayed not once, but again and again. The Jesus who forgave not once, but many times. The Jesus who was tempted not once, but again and again and again. The Jesus who fed thousands not once, but again. And the Jesus who was wrapped in cloths, not once, but again for us. This is the same Jesus, then, that says to his disciples and says to you and me, as we wonder about the meaning of his death for us and for our lives, says these words in Luke chapter 17, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Where and when does our love for Jesus stop? There are some here who Jesus is asking for you to work twice as hard as your spouse in your marriage relationship. And there are some here who Jesus is asking for you, you have to work harder to get A's in school than your bigger brother or sister. And there are some here who Jesus is asking for you to do, you just need to do more chores at home for a season. What if Jesus asks us to give up eating out four times a month so we can be better, generous givers at church and in our charity and our community? What if Jesus asks you to read the Bible more? What if Jesus asks you to pray that prayer that you've become impatient praying because there has not yet been an answer? It's enough. I'm done. My love has limits. There, my love is not perfect. My love has a threshold. Does yours too? Say yes. When it comes to our love for Jesus and our love for others, where does it end? When does it stop? The answer is somewhere. It has. That was the problem, by the way. I'm just going to boil it all down into one, one reason that the, the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. This is it. He loved too much. He forgave the wrong people. He promised heaven to those who didn't work for it. 
He loved too much. There was no limit to his love. And our human concept of love is it must be limited, both for my selfish ambition and for my manipulation of others. Love must have an end. And that's why they crucified him. He loved too much. There was one member of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin, whose name was Joseph of Arimathea. He doesn't surface on the scene until Good Friday, and here's why. The Bible says in John 19, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. Joseph, how much do you love Jesus? Only this much. Joseph of Arimathea's love for Jesus had a limit, didn't it? It had an end, didn't it? You don't find this man standing up in the middle of the Sanhedrin saying, you're a bunch of loonies. We're breaking laws. You can't crucify the Messiah. We don't find him saying that. His love for Jesus had an end, had a limit, like mine, like ours. Except for this, this this man, Joseph, I, I don't know what he was afraid of. Was he afraid of his peers that he didn't stand up to them? Was he afraid of losing his prestigious position on the ruling council? Was he afraid of, of, of not having the, the power uh, that he had as a, as a ruler on the Sanhedrin anymore? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. At some point, after being a secret disciple of Jesus, at some point, it didn't feel right to Joseph. At some point, his limited love stared him in the face through the eyes of his Savior's unlimited love dying on the cross for his sins for his limited love, for his secret discipleship, if those two words even go together. And he felt it. And he knew it. And he repented of it. And he turned. He turned from a secret disciple to a courageous follower of Jesus. He came out! And he did it in a big way. He went to Pontius Pilate, the ruler, the presiding ruler over the entire case, and he asked Pilate for Jesus' body. And this, my friends, was huge risk. This took big courage for Joseph. Among other things, this, that Joseph, along with Jesus' other disciples, was still a little bit confused about what was happening here. Joseph didn't wait to act as a disciple of Jesus until he had all the facts lined up perfectly straight. He just knew one thing. He knew love when he saw it. And he saw it in God dying for sinners. And that took the cap off of Joseph of Arimathea's love. And it was limited no more. 
He turned from his secret selfish following of Jesus to unlimited, to loyal no matter what, to full of faith, to bold. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, his own tomb, one in which no one had yet been laid. Joseph knew Jesus' dying love. They loved him once and loved him again, and that would always love him. I ask you, do you know that dying love? Then say yes. then what matters most for you right now, what makes the biggest difference for this holy day in your life and the rest of your life is not how many times you have failed your family. Because Jesus has forgiven you once and again and again. So that next time, with the unlimited love of Jesus and you, you'll get it right. And it makes the biggest difference for your life right now on this holy day and for the rest of your life is not how many times you have let yourself down with promises and commitments you have made to yourself and you haven't had the willpower to keep. Jesus has forgiven them once and again and again. And again. So that the next time, Jesus and your unlimited love will not break down so easily. And the thing that matters in your life right now is you see this unlimited love of Jesus. And you think about the person who has hurt you again and again and again. Sinned against you again and again and again. And Jesus died for and has forgiven that person again and again and again. You can forgive too. With Jesus and with your unlimited love. And what matters most right now is not how many times you have failed to trust in your Savior Jesus, for all the promises he has made to you, but that he has forgiven that one, and that one, and that one too, again, and again, and again. So that next time, with Jesus' unlimited love for you and your unlimited, uncapped Joseph of Arimathea, bold, courageous love for him, you will trust. And there will be a next time for all of us. That's not a threat. That's not a matter-of-fact statement. That's a promise of unlimited love from the one who was wrapped again by Joseph for you. Amen. Let us pray.
Thank you, Heavenly Father. Your unlimited love from eternity for your own Son is the unlimited love that he reflected from you to all the sinners in this world when he died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Thank you for including in the Scriptures that brief little story of Joseph of Arimathea as we know him. Thank you for allowing us to see ourselves in him, allowing us to confess that there are times when we limit our love and we shrink back to you, God, and to others too. Thank you for letting us view our dead Savior through the eyes and the caring hands of Joseph. For, Father, we care for Jesus too. We reach out this evening with a nail in our hands and we touch his cross. And as we do, we do so with care and with unlimited love that you have first given to us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to practice the very unlimited love in our lives that we know by your promises that your Son, Jesus Christ, has given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.